Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this month's edition of Field Notes. Our guest this time around is Mark Trimble, AISC's Vice President of Membership and Certification. Uh, Mark came uh, to AISC from the fabrication world, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, welcome, Mark. Thanks for being here. Well, glad to be here, Jess. So let's let's go back before AISC, before fabrication, and just talk a little bit about, uh, you know, where, where you're from and, and where did you go to school? Well, I'm originally from Paintsville, Kentucky. That's a small town of about 4,000 in the eastern part of the state. And my civil engineering degree is from the University of Kentucky in Lexington. So you're, you're a big UK fan? I'm a big UK fan. Uh, this uh, basketball season is not necessarily the year for that, but nevertheless, I'm still a big blue fan. Oh, of course, you, you got to stay. You, you always got to be. Um, so, you know, you're talking about your engineering degree. Can you can you talk a little about um, you know what made you want to go into that field in the in, in the first place? Were there some buildings uh, that inspired you at an early age that made you want to go into construction? I would say it wasn't a building per se but it was the building process. Uh, My dad was very frugal and he was quite a handyman. Uh, He would bring my siblings, my two brothers and sister together and use us as labor for many of his projects. Uh, And as the oldest, I was the go-to one when dad needed someone to hand him the appropriate tool at just the right time. But really before college, I don't think I had much of an interest in math or science beyond the uh, home remodeling projects that I did with my dad. Okay. Really, my love, really, Jeff, my love was music. I played trumpet in the band and sang in our church choir. And the decision to pursue engineering was kind of a light switch kind of choice that I made when my dad asked me one day what I wanted to do when I grew up. And it turned out to be a great decision. Sure. Did I, well now I have to ask. I, I guess I uh, didn't know about the the uh, the, the music angle. Um, so did you? Uh, so you played throughout uh, high school. Do you? Uh, did you play in college too? And did, and on that note, did you still play, or do you still play? Uh, I don't still play, but I played in college. I was in a jazz band at the uh, at the college. Okay. Uh, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed that, and I've continued to sing in choir and and have been a member of a men's quartet for. 20 years or so. Okay, outstanding. Yeah, I actually played the trumpet and jazz band in high school, and uh, I played the French horn as well, so yes. The thing that I was known for had mm-hmm. nothing to do with being in a jazz band or, or was I was asked very regularly mm-hmm. to play taps at military funerals. Okay. And I, I can't tell you how many times that I would drive to some remote cemetery out in the middle of nowhere walk up a hill Mm -hmm. carrying my trumpet and uh, there would be maybe uh, a person or two uh, from the family and then the military folks and they would you know do the honor guard and then I would play taps wow and uh, it was a it was always an emotional process and of course I was always very nervous because you don't want to mess up something like that of course not Uh, but, uh, but I would say that is probably my most memorable experience about playing the trumpet. And, uh, and what I would say about the quartet that I sang in was mm-hmm. that all four of us in the quartet were engineers. 
just by coincidence. Wow. And uh, we sang together for so long, mm-hmm. 25 years almost, wow. that we, we, we knew how each other sang. We, we knew when we needed to take a breath. Uh, we, we knew lots of things about each other, and it made singing truly a, uh, a uniting event. Sure. And uh, so we ended up uh, singing in church quite regularly and traveled a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, had a, had a CD. And uh, so it was just, it was just a, a real, really fun experience. Sure. Did you, what was it, did you have a name for the quartet? Well, it, we, we did and we didn't. <laughs> uh, I came up with a name early on. It was really simple. Uh, and, uh, and then the choir director who was, our accompanist, mm-hmm. she butchered the name oh, no. every single time. And so we finally just changed it back to the men's quartet. <laughs> sure. Keep it simple. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, she could never get the name right. And so we just, uh, we just gave up. But, uh, but anyway, it was a, it, it, it's a fun experience. And it's an experience that I've had to give up. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I'm in Chicago now instead of Huntington. Sure. Wow. Well, and, and one more quick question about TAP. So how did you, uh, I mean, it sounds like you, you played it quite a bit. So what? how did you sort of get the first sort of experience with that? Did somebody just need a trumpet player or had they heard you? No, it just so happened that uh, we had some family friends who were in the funeral home business. Okay. And it, uh, apparently it's a common request. Sure. And uh, and so they knew that I was in the band, and, mm-hmm. and they knew I could play pretty decently. So they uh, just sit, you know. I guess my name came up, and I, I did it one time, and then you know that's your first mistake. If you're willing, <laughs> then you're going to be asked, and that's and that's that's kind of what happened. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, I mean, as somebody who plays a tr- played a trumpet too, I mean, you know this obviously, but like taps is one of those things where it's it's easy and ver- it's also very difficult to play because you don't have to move your fingers at all. Um, but it's all eyes on you. It's a very emotional, very powerful, very powerful tune. Um, yes, it is. Which that makes it difficult. But uh, and yeah, even if you don't know the person, the emotion I would imagine comes through with that. Can you talk a little bit then about how you got started in the, in, you know, in the steel fabrication business? So you got an engineering degree, but were, was your original plan to become a, a structural engineer? No, as a matter of fact, I am not a structural engineer. I uh, majored in more of the uh, civil and hydraulic side okay. of engineering. Basically, the earliest years of my career were kind of varied, and they didn't have a whole lot to do with uh building structures okay uh, but uh, but I, I, I did benefit from a highway department scholarship in Kentucky and uh, and spent you know summers working on highway construction projects doing inspection and other engineering like uh, activities and uh, and my first real job after college was designing drainage systems for uh, the i-65 interchanges in Louisville but then finally I got a little hint of building construction mm-hmm. when I worked for an architectural firm and I spent time there designing grading and utility, the, the, the grading and utility portions of the architectural firm's building projects. So that's when I got my first uh, real involvement in anything related to uh, building construction. Uh, but then after that, 
I would say that it was probably the mid-1980s mm-hmm. when I learned about a project near my hometown that involved the expansion of a hospital. Okay. And they were looking for an on-site project engineer. And I think I spent almost two years on that job site and learned a lot about building construction from some you know really seasoned pros. Uh, and and that project led to other building design and construction projects and uh, some while I was working for others. And then when I went on my own, I spent some time uh, doing that kind of work uh, for myself. And uh, how, how did you get from there to through fabrication and into Huntington Steel? Well, that's a, a, a fun story that I really like to tell. Um, Mike Emerson... He was an IBM big system computer salesman at the time. You know the salesman, you know, that has the blue suit, the mm-hmm. red, I think they call it red sincere tie and the black wingtip shoes. Okay. Uh, uh, Mike was a real, uh, really close friend of mine from my college days. And he had been tapped to take over the reins at Huntington Steel from his father-in-law. And Mike had been on me to come and work for him for quite some time, but it wasn't until there was a, a recession in the early 1990s okay. that I decided that more stable, you know, more stable employment in a, in a regular paycheck was in my family's best interest. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I hit the ground running at Huntington Steel, uh, and that was in large part because of my mentor and boss, mm-hmm. uh, Roy Maynard. Roy was a kind of guy who'd been in the steel business his whole life and he was like an encyclopedia of steel knowledge and I learned an amazing amount from him and uh, well my 25 years at Huntington Steel were filled with you know lots of challenges and and a lot of learning on my part Uh, but it kind of got started when I was tasked to learn what was necessary to lead the structural fabrication division which I was hired to do okay uh, which which included things like estimating and the, the typical things, contracts, detailing, project management, mm-hmm. and, of course, sales. But my time at Hunt- Huntington Steel was, you know, very broad, and, and I had lots of different responsibilities over that period of time, and it wasn't unusual for me to take on uh, a new challenge or a temporary assignment. And then as time went on, I... Uh, moved within the different divisions there and ended up as vice president of, vice president of marketing. Okay. Uh, so uh, it's, it's a great, great experience. Sounds like it. Being there for 25 years, I'm sure you saw lots and lots coming through the shop. Was there, you know, one or two, uh, could, you, could you label as the coolest project or, or the most memorable projects? One of the most interesting projects we had was for the U.S. Navy, and it was right after 9-11. Mm-hmm. And we were to build hundreds of floating pontoon-like tanks that supported these submerged barriers that were to keep submarines from coming in and uh, attacking our harbors where the uh, ships were made. Okay, wow. That, that is a memorable project for sure. Okay, so, so 25, 25 years at Huntington. So you uh you um you've left the the fabrication world uh, and uh now you are with the i s c where you've been for a few years so what what uh what prompted that? How did you come to work for us? Well, I had been attending 
NAS, NASCC, which was kind of my first introduction to AISC. And I'd been attending for about 20 years and had been a volunteer, even serving on the NASCC Technical Planning Committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and during my time on that committee, I guess my enthusiasm caught the eye of the right people, and I ended up being asked to serve on the uh, AISC Board of Directors. Mm-hmm. Okay. And while I was a director, uh, that put me in a position to chair that conference planning committee, uh, which kind of brought more insight into the inner workings of AISC. And then about maybe five years, well, five years after being on the board, uh, I guess you could say my good fortune continued because Charlie Carter, who was still somewhat new in his role as AISC's president, Mm -hmm. became calling. Okay. He offered me the position of vice president of certification, and I accepted. It was a really easy decision. Sure. Uh, my respect for AISCs kind of never wavered, mm-hmm. and uh, to be given an opportunity to influence its direction, and uh, and actually, it's just the perfect way to tie a bow on what I consider to be a wonderful career. Yeah, excellent. You came from Huntington, West Virginia, and uh, you are you you know your full time position is in Chicago now. I, I know you kind of you go back and forth. Um, can can you talk a little bit about uh, maybe some of your favorite things about both places, about Huntington and Chicago? Well, let's start with Huntington. Sure. Uh, it's pretty obvious to say that it's the small town life. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife Teresa and I live on a brick lime street with big maple and oak trees on both sides of the street. Mm -hmm. We have a front porch where we love to sit out there and listen to the birds and the squirrels and, and maybe even watch a deer stroll by from time to time. Okay. And, uh, you know, so it's just, it's just convenient, quiet, calm. And, and, and on the other hand, we have Chicago, which is the the intense opposite of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, which, which I would say is what I would just entitle the urban life. We live in a condo on the 25th floor of Harvard Point at the eastern end of Randolph Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the street where AISC's offices are located. It was really important for Teresa and I to find a place close by the office so that we could basically walk everywhere we needed to go. So we don't even have a car here in Chicago. We take public transportation, uh, and so it's just, we're, we're, we're really living the urban life. And we have spectacular views of Navy Pier, and we can watch the fireworks in the summer mm-hmm. uh, looking out our window. And we can walk to the summer programs in the park or walk or ride our bikes down Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. And we love the pizza. It's just <laughs> kind of all great fun. Well, that's great. Yeah, I was gonna say you, you, your commute is uh, is pretty darn easy. <laughs> yeah, it's very nice. It's it's it's. I've timed it. It's about eleven minutes. Eleven minutes, and you don't have to look for parking. You don't have to get on a train. <laughs> That's correct. That's correct. I, I'm, I'm the envy of most everyone else in the office. <laughs> for sure. Uh, do you so? Do you end up going back and forth between Huntington and Chicago often? Well, like you said, we spend most of our time in Chicago, mm-hmm. but we try to get back to Huntington about once a month. Okay. Is that, is that a plane trip? Or is it a flying, is it a train trip? It has been, uh, I was trying to think of the name of that movie. What is it? 
Pla- uh, planes, planes, and, planes, trains, and automobiles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's just like the movie, planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> okay. Uh, we, we've, flown, we've flown back and forth. We have uh, rented a car and driven back and forth, and we have taken Amtrak okay. back and forth. Sure. Uh, Amtrak, go, Amtrak goes uh, straight between Chicago and Huntington, so it's, uh, it's an overnight sleeping ride. Oh, yeah. That makes it kind of fun. I was going to ask how, how long that train ride is. but uh, It's about 13 hours. Okay. But, yeah, if you go overnight, you know, you're sleeping through most of it. No, that's good. Um, so, so, Mark, can you, can you tell me a little bit about some of the best advice you've been given, either in life or in business or both? Well, best advice. You know, that's, that's really hard because I could talk a lot about the advice I've received. And I've received so much really, really good advice over mm-hmm. the years. You know, you can learn from anyone as long as you are willing to listen. And my dad taught me to ask questions first, listen to the answers, and then open your mouth and say something. You know, as an example, I learned the hard way early in my career. And what I learned was that a freshly minted college graduate, as I was, full of enthusiasm and a lot of confidence. Mm-hmm is not really prepared to make the impact he thinks he can. Sure. And, you know, and, and embarrassingly, <laughs> it doesn't take long, doesn't take very long at all to realize that there's a lot to learn from that uh, carpenter or iron worker or fabricator mm-hmm. who's been plying his trade for 20 years. And uh, I, I think the approach of listening first and speaking second mm-hmm has been a lesson that's helped me gain a lot of knowledge from a lot of people throughout the years. I definitely know. I think that's great advice. I think there's a lot of us, a lot more of us that probably should follow that from time to time. <laughs>